Hi everyone, my name is Alison Murrin, Expertise Counsel at Ashurst, and I'm delighted to be joined by Richard Vernon, a partner in our real estate team, to share his views on the real estate landscape for 2024. Now, inevitably, the prospect of a general election next year makes predicting the legal landscape much more difficult, but we can certainly draw on a number of key themes which are likely to gather steam during the course of next year and beyond. Now, Richard, I wanted to start by considering the implications of Rishi Sunak's surprise announcement in September, which confirmed that the government is scrapping its plans to require homeowners and private landlords of domestic property to have an EPC rating of C from 1st April 2025. Now, this does appear to be a major U-turn in government policy to improve energy efficiency in our private rented housing stock effectively ruling out further regulatory measures at this time, although it does appear to remain committed to decarbonising as many homes as possible, but only where practical and cost effective. However, the trajectory for raising the minimum energy efficiency standard of commercial property still remains something of a mystery. All the government seems to be saying at the moment is that it has reviewed the responses to the 2021 consultation. It's in the process of reviewing the policy design to ensure it remains fair for both landlords and tenants. And apparently we can expect a response to the consultation in due course. I mean, it's safe to say that the government has acknowledged that the proposed timeline to require an EPC rating of C by 2027 and EPC rating of B by 2030 will obviously have to be updated in order to allow sufficient lead-in time for landlords and the supply chain. But I was going to ask you, Richard, where you think that leaves us. Thanks, Sally. Yes, the government's stance on building efficiency is interesting. I think especially with 6 December this year being a built environment thematic day at COP28 in Dubai. And we expect to see there a key announcement that near zero emission and resilient buildings are to be the new normal by 2030. And we expect the UK to sign up to that pledge. And these recent announcements do provide some clarity for the private residential sector, as you say, but it still means that we are none the wiser as to where the new policy proposals will be for commercial property. The commercial property sector still faces an enormous challenge to address energy efficiency. Current estimates are that close to 90% of current office space has an EPC rating of C or below, and approximately 1 billion square feet of space in the UK is below a B rating. It's also estimated that around 60% of UK warehouse space will also not achieve a B rating come 2030. Despite that lack of clear government policy guidance, in my view, investors need to continue to review their portfolios, plan the program for energy efficiency improvements, obviously where it's cost effective to do so. Minimising carbon emissions will continue to be a really important factor when developing, refurbishing and operating real estate assets. Interestingly, action to improve efficiency might be why the latest Deloitte London office crane survey reveals a record number of refurbishment projects, around 34 schemes currently underway 
which covers about 3.3 million square feet of space. But with the clock ticking towards the UK net zero emission target by 2050, further action is needed, especially as the property sector will require substantial investment to upgrade commercial buildings in the UK if it is to play its part in achieving net zero. Thanks for those insights, Richard. So just to clarify, at the present time, there seems to be no evidence that there'll be any change to the introduction of the future home standard in 2025. Um, the aim, of course, of that being that homes built or renovated from 2025 onwards will produce between about 78 to 80% fewer carbon emissions than under the current building regulations. So I presume that developers and investors should still keep this on their radar? Yes, that's right, Ali. This will essentially mandate the transition to low carbon heating and future-proof homes. The standard is a really positive step forward for the residential market. And if it's implemented correctly, it'll be a really important reference point for valuers. However, of course, there is a risk that the costs of implementing the standard will feed through to increased prices. For example, higher standard building fabrics will raise costs. Still, the benefits of decarbonised UK housing will be felt by residents, as increased energy efficiency will, of course, reduce the costs of bills and generally contribute to a cleaner environment. That seems to be a very positive step. We should also mention that the government has also pushed back on yet another key green policy with the target for developers to achieve their biodiversity net gain no longer coming into force this year, but instead it seems it will come into force at some time in 2024. So there's a delay in implementation. And, and what do you think are the going to be the consequences of that delay? Well, yes, you're right. There has been a delay. But of course, some developers have already set their own biodiversity net gain targets for some or all developments, but others have been waiting for this mandate. And at the start of this year, the UK government confirmed that developers will need to achieve 10% biodiversity net gain, otherwise known as BNG for short, at all large domestic, commercial and mixed use sites from this November. The BNG was first introduced as part of the Environment Act back in 2021, and the government has described BNG as making sure the habitat for wildlife is in a better state than it was before the development. And in, in essence, complex metrics will be applied to calculate how much habitat needs to be provided to achieve the 10% net gain required. Statutory credits can be purchased from the government as a last resort, but really as a last resort. However, the government has announced legislation will no longer be implemented this year. And as you say, the government has since confirmed the 10% BNG target come into force in January 2024. BNG for small sites will be applicable from April next year. And implementation for nationally significant infrastructure projects is planned for 2025. But as already mentioned, a number of developers, both large and small, have been gearing up for this change for years. But the industry really needs certainty and commitment in order to facilitate green investment and to continue to make progress. So it's good to see that the government has now published the draft regulations setting out the framework for implementing biodiversity net gain through the development management process. And I suppose we can't really leave um, the 
talk on green policies uh, without touching on um, the proposals to relax the rules on nutrient neutrality um, that were of course rejected by the House of Lords in September. So for the time being, it appears that nutrient neutrality is here to stay. But I was going to ask you, Richard, how you think we're going to go about unlocking all of the stalled developments? Well, Ali, it's a question many developers are asking and the frustration of developers and actually planners on both sides with the existing nutrient neutrality policies is palpable. You know, these policies include a moratorium on house building in most local authorities, which seem to target only residential and commercial developments. And this is despite other significant industries like agriculture and also the water sector contributing substantially to water pollution. The autumn statement did announce plans to spend £110 million, to be known as a local nutrient mitigation fund, to support councils to deliver high quality schemes to offset nutrient pollution, which may help unlock stall planning permissions. Thanks, Richard. And I also wanted to briefly touch on one other development in relation to the UK's net zero pledge, and that's the Energy Act 2023. Um, relatively new act, only received royal assent on the 26th of October. Um, so I thought it'd be interesting just to point out to listeners what the key areas of the act are and how they're relevant to real estate. Yes, the act is essentially enabling legislation to provide powers for government to implement future legislative changes. It's a key step in the UK's energy transition. The real estate sector will no doubt be closely following developments in the areas of heat regulation, energy saving opportunity schemes, energy sparse appliances, and further energy efficiency obligations. And in this way, the property industry will be best placed to adapt and take advantage of opportunities as they arise under this legislation. I think we probably should now move on um, to other developments in the real estate sector. And we should, of course, mention the King's speech, which revisited a number of leasehold reforms which have been on the agenda for at least the last four years, but which the government now seems committed to bringing forward in the leasehold and freehold reform bill. And just to summarise, amongst other things, the bill proposes to make it cheaper and easier for existing leaseholders to extend their leases, buy their freehold, assume management of their properties. Um, it also um, pushes out the standard lease extension term from 90 years to 990 years. Um, it will remove some of the barriers to enfranchisement, uh, namely the two-year ownership rule, and perhaps more controversially for mixed-use properties, increasing the non-residential floor space limit from 25% to 50%. Um, it's going to increase transparency around leaseholder service charges, and of course will ban the creation of new leasehold houses, which should not come as a surprise to many as that's been on the horizon for some time. But I wanted to ask you, Richard, do any of the proposals raise any particular issues in your mind? Well, Ali, of course, we've discussed leasehold reform for many years and most of the changes will not be news to anyone in the industry. But one area that may concern freeholders is the extension of the non-residential limit from 25% to 50%. If these changes are to be retrospective, 
than existing buildings which have been specifically designed to avoid enfranchisement and RTM applications could now be potentially caught and will cause concern for some commercial investors. There was also a promise to consult on capping existing ground rents. The consultation has now been published, but makes no mention as to how landlords would be compensated and at what rate. Whilst this is only a consultation rather than legislative change, any capping will be a concern for ground rent investors. It will not be easy balancing the interests of those who legitimately have a right to receipt of ground rents against the desire to reduce the financial burden on leaseholders. And all of this is certainly one to keep an eye on as the bill passes through Parliament. And of course, we have to mention the Renters Reform Bill, uh, which is being carried over to next year. And we discussed this bill this time last year, um, primarily aimed at reforming the private rental sector and, amongst other things, proposing to provide greater security and flexibility to renters and introduce stronger powers to evict antisocial tenants. But what I wanted to ask you, Richard, is whether you think we're going to actually get any meaningful progress on these particular reforms. Yes, a year on, the uh, debate continues, but clearly plans to abolish Section 21 no-fault evictions are still on the table. But as set out in the notes, the government will not commence the abolition of Section 21 until stronger possession grounds and a new court process are in place. Now, whilst the abolition of Section 21 notices has not been taken off the table, the government has committed to abolishing such notices. Their eradication has been once again delayed. And this just increases uncertainty for investors as to when and how the rules will apply. And in considering the impact of this bill, it's important to highlight the exemption for purpose-built student accommodation, as long as the provider is registered for government-approved codes. The government has also reasoned the exemption of PBSA from the regime that it is clearly defined. Tenants do not have an expectation of the accommodation providing a long-term home and robust rules to maintain standards already exist. Therefore, it will remain possible to let PBSA on fixed-term tenancies. Thanks for that update, Richard. Um, I think now I want to turn to the Leveling Up and Regeneration Act 2023. It's finally here. 17 months in the making, but it's now officially law. And of course, it covers a wide range of planning and infrastructure issues. And implementation is going to need a great deal of secondary legislation. Of course, how much of and how quickly the new act actually comes into effect is going to really depend on government priorities, capacity, and the outcome of the general election. Uh, indeed, Labour's already said that it will produce its own planning bill within 100 days of leadership if it if it takes over. Um, but there's no getting away from the fact that it is a major piece of legislation and it, it really aims to deliver the government pledge to level up the UK. Of course, during its passage through Parliament, it did grow in scope. And there are some very specific real estate points to note, which are not planning related. Could you just remind our listeners what these are, Richard? Well, as it stands, the Act is part of the government's aim to deliver a revitalised high street and town centre and give local authorities up and down the country powers to force commercial landlords to let their property. The new legislation will enable local authorities to offer short-term leases of qualifying commercial units 
via an auction if they are vacant for longer than 12 months. The finer details still need to be fleshed out in secondary legislation. However, landlords who have commercial premises should assess their position. This also presents an opportunity for tenants to acquire leases of previously unavailable vacant premises. It will certainly be interesting to see which local authorities take advantage of these new powers. The Act also sets out a framework allowing the Secretary of State to make regulations requiring the disclosure of information about land interests. This includes information about contractual rights, such as who holds them and how they were created. Potentially, this could cover sale contracts, agreements for lease options, preemption agreements, promotion agreements, development and forward funding agreements. Now, we don't have much information at the moment until the secondary legislation is published, but potentially a person who fails to provide the required information will commit a criminal offence. Ultimately, this is seeking to reduce the extent to which land ownership, control and transactional information can be get confidential. It's going to be really interesting to see how that is framed in secondary legislation. Um, of course, we would not be able to talk about um, the legal landscape next year without mentioning the Building Safety Act 2022, which of course has also been the subject of copious secondary legislation and is one of the biggest changes to the UK building industry in close to 40 years. We've had to get to grips with a completely new building safety regime and the most recent changes came into force on the 1st of October this year. It's hugely important that all those involved in the real estate industry understand the new law and so Richard I wonder if you could briefly summarise the most recent changes for us. Well we now have a detailed building control regime for higher risk buildings and what must be included in applications submitted to the building safety regulator before the construction of those high risk buildings and for works to any existing higher risk buildings. And approval from the regulator must be obtained before building works may commence. Competency is also a key part of the new regime. From the 1st of October this year, 2023, everyone carrying out design or building work, and not just in respect of high-risk buildings, must be competent and demonstrate their competence. This means having the skills, knowledge, experience, and necessary behaviours. The regulator becomes the building control authority for all new build high-risk buildings, which means that local authorities and approved inspectors will no longer be able to supervise high-risk building work. The gateway regime, which fully came into force on the 1st of October, is one method of seeking to improve quality standards by providing regulatory oversight to the planning, design and construction process. And it's also important to point out that the regulator has extensive enforcement powers for non-compliance, which can result in fines and possible imprisonment. There is no doubt that the new strategy regime is complex but we're all on a continuing journey to deliver the crucial purpose of this new regime. Thanks, Richard. The, the Building Safety Act really does represent a sea change across the industry, doesn't it? But it's been so interesting to hear your thoughts, not just on the Building Safety Act, but on all the other many and varied issues that are going to be part of the real estate landscape in 2024 and beyond. And on that note, it just leaves me to say thank you to our listeners. Um, and if you would like to discuss any of the points raised in this podcast, 
um, please don't hesitate to get in touch with the real estate team at Ashurst. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye from myself and Richard. Thank you. Thank you.